most of the time, I do think it pays off in the long run. I do think working hard, putting in the effort to like skill up, to get those jobs, to like make a name for yourself in the industry pays off. But it does come at a cost and you have to think about how much you're willing to sacrifice. That's why I mean when like before you start the job search, before you get into the thick of it, like think about what your non-negotiables are. For some people, they don't care about the industry that they work in or that the product that they're working on. They might care more about the pay. They might care more about the language that they're working with. Like decide what those things are instead of just like kind of shooting into the air and just hoping for the best because you'll get, you know, you'll get burnt out like that. MongoDB World is the conference for developers by developers. Join MongoDB from June 7th to 9th in New York for three days of sessions, workshops, and more. For tickets, visit mongodb.com forward slash world hyphen stack. And you can use the discount code WORLDPOD25 to save 25%. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host, Ben Popper, joined as I often am by my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Ciora. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hello. So, Ciora, you brought us some news this week. No way around it. We got to discuss it. A lot of layoffs happening in the tech world. And the headline also implies that, you know, this is impacting everybody, but maybe especially, you know, folks of color and people who maybe recently were hired in an effort, you know, to make companies more diverse and inclusive. So, let me give you my perspective just super quick and then throw it back to me and we'll, we'll chat around the horn. I was graduating from my master's program in journalism in 2008. I think I got my degree in like September 2008 or something. I had an internship at the Daily Beast and then it was like, oh, the world's blowing up. You know, the finan- all the banks are collapsing. My internship was gone and then I lived uh, in my parents' house for a year and a half, which felt pretty bad because I was like three or four years out of college at that point. And then I got a job at the New York Observer covering the New York City tech scene. And between, let's say, 2010 and now, it just boomed. You know, I mean, I'm sure during the pandemic, some things happened, but for that 10, 12 years, it went pretty much, you know, straight up. And so this is maybe, you know, going to be a correction at that level. And for me, it was a pretty formative experience. Like that, I think a lot of the way I approach work and hiring and, you know, looking for jobs comes out of, my year and a half as a freelancer living in my parents' basement. <laughs> but let me stop there and, and ask for your take and what you're hearing from your friends and what you're seeing on social media. Yeah. So I looked at a couple news articles before jumping onto the podcast just so I could have like an official, like actual journalistic, like, you know, perspective right. on what's happening. And it is a real thing. It's not just something that people are like observing here and there. There have been several layoffs at different tech companies across the industry and just different companies, period, across different industries, honestly. And there have been like a slew of layoffs. So we went through like a tech hiring boom for a few months after the pandemic first kicked off and like everything slowed down. Then things, people were hiring a ton and now things are slowing down again. I do think that it could be concerning if you're a person who has been laid off or if you are a person who has been recently hired especially if you are in a fintech company, especially if it's a crypto company, I think you should be kind of like nervous. I think that's a valid feeling to have. But I also will say, I don't think that this is going to be something that's like super, super long term or that like totally derails the industry for good. I think it's just a 
like a part of the cycle where things like slow down and then pick back up and then slow down again. I could be wrong. I'm not a like financial advisor or any or analyst or anything like that. This is not financial advice. This is not financial. <laughs> Anybody listening, do not invest based on our disclaimer. But yeah, I have noticed a, a few people mentioning here and there that like either they're nervous about losing their job or they started job searching before the slowdown happened or or they did lose their job. I'm in the category where I started job searching before the slowdown happened and I'm not really actually concerned. Should I be? Probably. But like, <laughs> I'm just not. And that's right. just usually how I approach life. I don't I don't get stressed out until the crisis is like right there in front of me. So I mean, I want to let Matt chime in. But one thing I'll say that I think is really interesting about this time mm-hmm. is that it's kind of the, you know, the best of times, the worst of times. I think there are simultaneously companies who are struggling for various reasons and laying off employees, even large batches of employees. But there's enough demand elsewhere within the tech industry and other industries that hire software developers that there's more open roles than unemployed developers. So that is not, you know, like it was in the dot-com boom when, when it went bust, you know, there was way fewer jobs on offer than there were people who had previously been employed as web developers and software engineers and things of that nature. But Matt, let's get your take. I had actually had this conversation with somebody the other day who was looking to get into software development and they were saying things, they've been doing their research and talking to people and saying like, oh, well, I'm not sure, like the job market apparently is really slow at the moment and I'm not sure if there's going right. to be like an oversupply of developers and to that I kind of just, like I, I didn't laugh, but like it's it's something that we've heard over and over again that there's a huge shortage in the talent pool for good software developers. And, you know, like I, I don't know statistics, I don't, I don't know anything else, but it, it seems like there are a lot of jobs going and there are a lot of companies really desperate for people to apply. I know mm-hmm. here at SAC, we've got a lot of open roles at the moment. And yeah, quick plug, if you are for a lot of them. So Matt and I will get the referral bonus, says the podcast sent you. <laughs> you know what? We can, we can run our own little affiliate employment system here. Exactly. No problem with that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing news articles like this where there are a, a lot of layoffs, but then conversely, we're also being told there aren't enough people to fill all of these roles. And I think right. that kind yeah. of points back to Ben's point where yeah. there are probably some areas of technology that are dipping, but there are other areas that are booming to compensate and level out. I was just going to say, I think something kind of similar happened at the beginning of the pandemic, to be honest. like I think it was more severe then, but anyone who's listening who is thinking about learning how to code or currently trying to become a software Do engineer, it. I would say right now is the perfect time because that's what I did, right? I started learning how to code during the dip when things were really slow. And by the time I was ready to look for a job, things sped up again. And there was literally so much demand that I didn't have such a struggle. I will say that doesn't mean that I didn't work hard to like get jobs and stuff, but there was (laughs) things available. You know what I mean? So I think if Mm. you're thinking about learning how to code, still do it. Like it's slower now in some places, but don't like panic outright because even, even during the pandemic, there were a ton of industries, a ton of like companies that slowed down. They either laid people off or they had hiring freezes, but there were some in different sectors of tech that were like booming. For instance, like Instacart and things like that, like those kind of companies were like huge during the pandemic, right? Even like Zoom blew up during the pandemic. So there were, there's always going to be certain ones that still, it's not like an overall fall off with the whole industry. There's still hope. A couple points to what you said, which I think are interesting. One is the best time to get in 
you know, is when nobody else wants to be there. Like all the people <laughs> who made all the money in crypto, like Coinbase, you know, they started in 2012 and everyone was like, Bitcoin is dead. And they were like, nope, we're believers. And, you know, a hundred billion dollars later, IPO there, you know, look who's laughing. So like to, to really get in and start your own thing, if that's what you want to be, aside from a software developer is like an entrepreneur or somebody who's at a company, you know, it's going to change the world. You usually have to kind of be a bit of a contrarian. Yeah. Also to your point, you know, like when things are not going well, that's a great time to like invest in education. For example, like you did, Sierra, yeah. people who may not have heard your story on the podcast before, but like you were working at a events company, right? So obviously that shut down during the pandemic and that was a good chance to take these online courses, go from AWS to cloud to, you know, developer advocacy and everything you're doing now. I guess, you know, getting back to what we said earlier, I think one of the things that might be scary for people in our networks, especially is probably some of the people who are going to get lower let go are some of the more junior people, mm. I guess. I mean, that's not true. Maybe they like all the same people, but you know, that I think typically would be a more diverse group because most companies are trying to hire and increase diversity. And so you would assume, I guess, that at the lower end, it's more diverse than at the upper end. I don't know if that's true, but maybe that's what the sort of article is implying with that headline. That tends to be the reality at most companies. From what I've seen, you'll see the higher up you get, the less diversity you see. Right. And also we all know that when layoffs happen, they usually tend to lay off the people who have less experience first. So I haven't seen any numbers as far as like the demographics of the people who have been laid off, but it is a huge possibility that most of them are diverse candidates, which is definitely something to think about. I'm not sure if I really have a ton of like insights on how, like I said, like I started out in tech. I'm still pretty junior to be honest, but I started out in tech when there was a lot of hiring going on and I still had to like, I kind of had to fight for my life a little bit, you Here's know? Yeah. 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 And I don't think it's fair. I don't think that's how it should be, but that's the reality of what it's like in the industry. So I would say that like, if you are on the junior side of things, you just have to prepare yourself to like, to really, really work hard for it, which I, again, I don't think that's fair. I think you know, everyone has a right to like have a fair chance at a career. You don't have to necessarily, you shouldn't have to do all that work, but you do um, in a lot of instances. I would say the thing that you should worry about if you are on the junior side of things and if you feel like you're at risk or if you feel like if you are, have been laid off, you need to worry about burnout. That's the thing that you should really be concerned with because it's going to take so much work and so much hustling. You have to like take a moment to plan. I wish this is what I would have done. I wish I would have like been a little more, bit more intentional about what I decided to was worth my time and what wasn't because I I did everything. I applied for everything. I took every opportunity that came my way because I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Even now to this day, I'm still like recovering from that burnout from from all that. So I would say that's your biggest thing is like be intentional about what you do and don't do so that you don't have to like eventually possibly derail your whole career because of like burnout and stuff like that. That's not what happened to me, but it can happen. You know what I mean? So I would just say, be aware of that. That's a, such a hard tight rope to walk though, because I know I, I've been in that yes. position before where if you're not currently working, you start off being intentional. I think this is kind of like how I've, how I've found it is that you start off being intentional applying to like, great, I want to work at that company and that company and that company in this industry. And you apply and then a month later, nothing happens. And you're like, okay, maybe I need to broaden my search a little bit. And so you start going a little bit broader and broader and broader. And then you just start getting fed up and you just start applying to kind of like anything that looks you know, somewhat reasonable. And then you end up doing a bunch of tech tests and take home tests and going through spending hours and like putting all of your emotional energy and 
investment into companies that really aren't aren't worth your time. And if you've got other other pressures around financial pressures or parents or family who are like, why don't you have a job yet? I thought, you know, I thought this is what you were doing. You can end up signing with a company out of desperation. And it's it's a really, really tricky thing to manage when you're in the thick of it. You know, I guess I I don't really have much advice on, on how to get around that. MongoDB World is the conference for developers by developers. Join MongoDB from June 7th to 9th in New York for three days of sessions, workshops, and more. For tickets, visit mongodb.com forward slash world hyphen stack. And you can use the discount code worldpod25 to save 25%. Just to interject one thing, we were talking about sort of like the mismatch in jobs and like how can there be so many people laid off, so many people looking, but so many things open. You know, some of the things that are open are probably things that don't appeal to the majority of people. There are jobs open for COBOL developers or jobs open where you know, you're working on the back end of a water filtration systems <laughs> software, you know, like those are real jobs and need real developers, yeah. but you know, they probably don't appeal to young people who are just laid off from a hot crypto startup. So uh, I think some of it is that, and that goes to what Matt was saying is like, do I really want to take this job just because I'm unemployed now? You know, that goes to your personal financial situation and how much you're trying to support yourself and others. But Sierra, I mean, Sierra, I guess to your point, like, I do think that, you know, like, there's a degree to which it's like people should not be overworked to the point of burnout just because they're young. You know, interns in the journalism industry where I used to work were expected to work for free. And that was crazy because they were basically just unpaid staff. And then they, you know, people had to pass laws to prevent that. But I guess there is also a degree to which it's like, you know, 20 something year old me spent a lot more time hustling, out nights working because I didn't have kids in a family. And then not that you coast on that later, but the more you've invested in your career over the years, you know, the easier it is to fall back on that as opposed to just, you have to build the foundation first and then the second and the third and the fourth story. And then it's true, you probably don't have to work quite as hard. Although some people who get to the top like to work 60, 80 hours weeks. I mean, some people who are in leadership positions, they're just those kinds of people. I think the the problem with that is that it kind of assumes that people who are on the junior side of things, the junior side of things, I say that with quotation marks, are young and childless, fresh out of college, fresh out of high school, whatever the case may be. That's not actually what the industry reflects because, or the the candidate pool reflects, I should say, because a lot of people who are coming out of boot camps, who are even coming out of university, who are self-taught, have kids, have jobs, not jobs, but like homes and like things to take care of. They're grown adults with debt to pay off and things like that, like financial, real financial responsibilities. And there are even some young people who have real financial responsibilities. So that's why, that's one of the things I think about when I'm like going through a job process that requires a lot of effort, a lot of preparation. I'm like, if I had kids, if I had this, if I had that, if I had all these obligations, which I don't because I'm fairly young, I don't know if I would be able to pull that off. So I think about those candidates who kind of get closed off or who have to make sacrifices like that just to get a job. And in my mind, that's not fair because you shouldn't have to sacrifice like your kids or your 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 husband or your wife or whatever. So it's like, that's what I mean when I say like, uh, most of the time I do think it pays off in the long run. I do think working hard, putting in the effort to like skill up, to get those jobs, to like make a name for yourself in the industry pays off. But it does come at a cost and you have to think about how much you're willing to sacrifice. That's why I mean when like before you start the job search, before you get into the thick of it, like think about what your non-negotiables are. For some people, 
they don't care about the industry that they work in or that the product that they're working on. They might care more about the pay. They might care more about the language that they're working with. Like decide what those things are instead of just like kind of shooting into the air and just hoping for the best because you'll get, <laughs> you know, you'll get burnt out mm. like that. I mean, like both of you were saying, you know, when sometimes when you get desperate, you start grabbing at everything. Going back yeah. to that time when I was freelancing, I was just trying to get my name out there. I wanted to be in as many publications as possible. So I would pitch big name publications. First of all, I'd have to create the pitch. I'd probably work on that for a few weeks to send the pitch. Then if that got accepted, then they'd be like, all right, well, can you write the piece? That could take a few weeks. Then it would wait to get published. And then after it get published, I could wait 90 days to get paid. And I get paid like 150 bucks for an article, which I probably worked on, you know, all told for like a month and a half you know, of time. And it's just like, there's, there's no way it made any, fine. it made zero financial sense, but it was just like <laughs> career building, get my name out there, make connections in the industry. Like there's no way I could have supported myself. Zero, you know, zero possibility like that. Similar things do happen in the tech industry. I don't think it's as extreme, but <laughs> no tech pays better than journalism for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that to me is a symptom of the system, right? Like that's a problem that the higher ups at companies need to work on. Like we shouldn't be asking because there still are unpaid internships. There still are people who are asking these like rookies to do free work, which they shouldn't be doing or very low paid work, which like, that's what I mean when I say like, I don't want to make it seem like all the responsibility to avoid overworking, to avoid the hustle that you have to go through to get into tech is on the person, on the individual who's like looking for a job. Cause you just want a job like everybody else, right? That's a normal human thing to want. The problem is that a lot of companies take advantage of that. So they want to like, or they don't consider like the fact that people have lives and kids and stuff going on and just, right. just stuff in general. Like, should you really be going through an eight stage job interview process for an <laughs> internship? Should you really be doing like a free internship? Should you be doing talks for free? Should you be writing articles for companies for free? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I think about where it's like structurally, we just need to change how we approach this in the first place. I don't know who we need to talk to to get that to happen or how we can get it to happen. But like until then, unfortunately, a lot of the responsibility to like protect yourself and your time and your mental health and your personal right. health and your personal life falls on you as an individual, which I don't think that's fair, but that's just, that's unfortunately how it is. So you just have to like kind of deal with it. We had a instance. So in New Zealand, internships are all paid. For oh, the most nice. part, I think it, I think it's illegal for you to have an unpaid internship, and it was really interesting because during university, there are a lot of companies that come in from overseas. You get the the big names, and they offer programs to kind of participate with them. And one of the companies had this accelerator program, which you were had you had to work eight to sixteen hours a week for a whole year as part of their kind of like ambassador program. And, you know, they, they had a really good brand attached to the name, but they were basically asking these uh, university kids who were, who were doing university, had part-time jobs, all that kind of stuff to contribute eight to 16 hours of their week into this company just to get their name on a CV. And, and the thing is people still did it. They, yeah. you know, they would right. go through the program, they would swear by it. And for me, I was just like, no, like I would, I would rather dedicate eight hours of my week to like a part-time job so I can feed myself. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's always a struggle. You know, like I remember we did this reporting about like the IRS backend, which crashed when everybody at the beginning of the pandemic was applying for aid, government aid all of a sudden. And they, you know, were desperate to hire COBOL programmers to work on the IRS backend. And nobody, nobody wants that job. You know, like I'm sure it pays a nice seven figures, you know, six figure salary, but it's like, it doesn't sound like any fun. It's not going to be any fun, you know? So like, 
the critique of capitalism uh, is valid, I think, and guardrails should be in place to protect us. On the other hand, there will always be competition and to get mm. interesting, good, interesting jobs that like people can feel passionate about. I mean, if you have to compete with other people, then you know you're going to work extra hard. But yeah, I would say based off of the conversations I've had with people, I don't even think people are really so much concerned about like maybe this isn't the case, but like I know when I was looking like my first first job search. I didn't care at all what the product was, what the language was. I just, <laughs> it's funny yep. to think about now. I just wanted a job. Like I wasn't right. concerned about like all that kind of stuff. You need that experience. Yeah. You just, you just want to get that experience. I really didn't even care about the pay so much. Like I just wanted to have enough to like be able to like scrape by, but I just wanted that first job. And like you were mentioning, Matt, like I think some companies know how almost desperate people are, especially in the beginning. And they take advantage of that. And like, of course, that's how the system works. And I can't say that I agree with it. But like, yeah, it's just the way things are. Matt, did you have like, a, I mean, I think your case is interesting because you said a few times on the show, you chose this job because you felt like there was sort of like a limit to what your, you could do career-wise in New Zealand. And you wanted to move beyond that, you know, sort of geographic region. So I guess yep. one of the things that has really changed over the last two years, it was true before, but it's changed even more, is that more and more people are willing to hire remote. And so like, mm. I guess, you know, there are headwinds and tailwinds here kind of, right? Like it's tough out there sometimes and there, there are hot companies that seem really hot and then six months later they're doing layoffs. Like that is a horrible position to be in. You don't, you know, I feel, I feel for anybody who's in that position. You know, I started at Stack Overflow in April of 2019 and in, you know, March of 2020, and go look it up. You know, there were furloughs along with the pandemic. It didn't have anything to do with anybody here who was working their butts off. It was just, you know, the 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 big events around the globe. But I guess, yeah, you know, like from your perspective, Matt, to what degree do you think the remote stuff has opened more doors and given more people, you know, the chance to sort of land their first big job, their first dream job, their first, you know, whatever it may be? Yeah. So to give you an understanding of the journey that I went through is that the category that our like CEO and my, my work falls under is developer relations for the most part or developer advocacy. And within New Zealand and within Australia as well, I had saved searches to look up anything related to developer advocacy or developer relations for about six months. Over that time period, there were three companies with three roles which is just absurd. There was Slack has an office in Melbourne. There was a blockchain startup in Auckland, which is where I was located at the time. And then I think there was also Canva who are based in Sydney, who had some technical writing position. And so for me, in order for me to do anything within my career, that the path that I wanted to go through, there just wasn't an option for me to stay in New Zealand or Australia or to work with a company within those geographical boundaries. And so for that, I had to look in uh, North America and Europe. And, and that's when when I started to, to make that shift. Then I started getting interviews immediately. It was, uh, it was great. And that wouldn't have been possible, I don't think. I, I don't want to say that the pandemic has benefited me in this way, but I think that there has been a silver lining with the remote work movement Right. That mm -hmm. people are now more comfortable to to hire. And it's it's opened up, it's made a huge difference in my life because I could join Stack Overflow. And that was something that they were willing to accommodate, hiring someone from New Zealand with a different time zone, everything else. And it worked out. It was fine. So I think that, yeah. you know, you do get stories like this, which are success stories. And 
I'm sure there are many other people out there who who've probably got similar. So I, to your point, yeah, I think there has been a lot of opportunities that open up as a result of this. All right, I want to take us out just to say, yeah, like like Matt said, we, we literally are hiring. You know, so if you're if you're listening and your company's go through this, we're hiring. And then to Sierra's point, I can honestly say this is the best place I've ever worked in terms of work life balance. Like very respectful of that, very built into the culture, very built into like even changes that they're making every quarter from the HR perspective. So take a look at the website and see if anything jumps out. And if it does, you can always email us and uh, we can talk about it. All right, uh, let's jump to the tech recs. I see one in here. I have one that's related. That is me, WWDC. So my tech rec for this week is to check out WWDC in the next couple of weeks. There are hopefully going to be a few interesting little bits. Um, one that I know Ben will enjoy. I'm not sure about anyone else, but the roundup for expected things coming out of WWDC are going to be iOS 16. There are no major updates. That's just a new version for iOS. iPad OS is apparently getting some productivity features, which might include a more Mac-like docked pro mode, which, Ben, does that sound appealing to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm currently on my, now I'm on my new work Mac, which is plugged into the Logitech and not acting like it's going to pass out. And then over <laughs> here, I got the old work laptop that I bought when, it, you know, now that it's been retired, I had to wipe it and everything running on a different camera angle. So I'm kind of, I'm feeling myself right now, but yeah, you know, I'm always up for, for new tech or whatever. I think it'll, it'll be quite useful, but so I'm excited to see what the iPad OS updates are. They're going to be releasing maybe a new Mac Pro, which will be relevant for some developers, but not most And an augmented reality headset might have some news about that. This is all, these are all rumors, by the way, these are what I've picked out from the, the various corners of the internet, but that is what we are expecting. It's happening early June. So, and, and I'll definitely be talking about whatever happens on the podcast after that. So keep that in mind. Sierra, do you have one? Yes. My tech rec is, this is going to sound so funny and I promise I don't mean to be like a negative person, but this this is a as a web app called megablock.xyz and it's cool because it mass blocks people for you on twitter and like i said i'm not trying to be negative oh. but i first discovered it when i came across a very misogynistic tweet from somebody in the tech industry and what it does is you paste the link of the tweet into the app the web app and it like blocks everyone who likes the tweet. So like if you see something that you disagree That's with, nuts. that you find personally terrible, you can just paste the tweet in there and it blocks every single account so you can stay safer on Twitter and those people can stay away from you. Nice. I like it. It helps to keep Twitter safe. And that's a positive thing. So that's, that's what a positive. I'm Look, we had the folks from Block Party on here. We're all about protecting yourself and not oh, burning cool. out and all that stuff. So definitely check it out if that's an issue for you. I mean, who doesn't want to block? Everybody blocks somebody on Twitter. <laughs> that's a 10 out of 10 recommendation. 10 out of 10. <laughs> I have more along those lines, but I'll just leave it there. <laughs> all right. My recommendation would be if you missed it, I know this is just a video. It's a hype video. It probably will never come to be. But based on a conversation we had earlier and WWDC made me think of this, Google I.O. happened. And the coolest thing that they showed, if you didn't catch it, was the AR glasses that do real-time translation. So you're talking to somebody, they're speaking in another language, and you basically see like subtitles are like superimposed wow. on the world. So like they speak and it's just like, zoop, 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 zoop. super cool as an idea. Will it ever come to be? Who knows? But I thought it was really neat. I have used Google Translate in the wild just with a phone and it's very powerful and I had some great experiences 
when I was in China with that. So the idea of doing it through glasses was kind of cool. Well, they had cool. they released something similar for I think they had Pixel Buds where that would auto translate as exactly. as you're going through. And that's why people are suspicious because that one kind of was a flop. Like it would seem cool, <laughs> but then when people try in the wild, it was just like so I, there was a Verge article about it. And it was like when you're talking to somebody, you sound like a five year old basically, and it's like I'm gonna mm-hmm. you know you didn't come across as like it didn't translate you at your own level, but so be it. All right, y'all, we are going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow and saved some knowledge from the dustbin of history, helped spread it to the community. Today it goes to Patricia Shanahan. What is the difference between int and double? Awarded 13 hours ago, but this question has been around for eight years and helped over 125,000 people. So thank you, Patricia. I have definitely looked at that question. That's one of those things like, do I use there or there here? You know, it's like, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me at Ben Popper on Twitter. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. We'll shout you out. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. I'm Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate. You can find me on Twitter if you want to hear more from me there. My username there is at Cioreo, that's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. And I'm Matt Kenander. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. If you have any questions about working at Stack, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter or wherever else at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. All I can say is this is the best place I've ever worked. And I can say that honestly without anyone paying me to. So (laughs) I'll say it for free. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.